0: Just now, I listened to the audio that's coming up and I find myself saying to myself, get on with it. I've taken 20 minutes to make a couple of points. You know, I could have done it in one minute. For goodness sake. Um, I, I think I must have been very relaxed when I spoke it, which was quite a while ago, I just came back now because I hadn't listened to it. I don't listen to all my episodes, but I try and listen to some of them after, you know, straight after I've made them. Uh, just to wonder whether I should delete them. Uh, but you can't listen to all of them. You know, sometimes I speak for an hour. I can't listen to that. You, know, you can't listen to that, so how can I? You know, but um, I must have been very relaxed. I think it sounds like I was on a long drive and I had all day. Uh, there is progression in my thinking. I can hear it just a little bit, but it just took 20 minutes to get there, yeah? It takes five ponderous minutes to uh, st- make each step in my thinking. Uh, I must have been very relaxed. It's not worth listening to. The, the upshot of it all is that um, that old point, that, yeah, some you know, there's there's such a thing as smart, and there's such a thing such a thing as wise, you know. And sometimes it's smart to go for science, and sometimes it's, it could be wise to not go for science. You know, if if it was, yeah, you know, like if you could have your time over again and go back five thousand years, would you go for would you go for science as a human race? You know, it's that ponderous point. Um, you know, would you have, you know, um, you know. Yeah. Were the indigenous peoples of the world, you know, were did they end up more wise as a result of not going for science and you know not inventing the wheel or whatever they might not have invented? Was that wise? Um, yeah and if we had our time again not, not me personally but the cultures that did invent things my my culture is a culture of barbarians so you know i'm not included but those cultures that were the cradles of civilization and invention and technology and all that sort of stuff those cultures uh yeah you know, if they had their time over again you know should they say hey well, we can see ourselves on a path towards Invention and technology and science and all that sort of stuff. Let's not do that, you know, and actually bury the discoveries they were making. You know, should they do that? Would that have been wiser? And, um, you know, and did the, were the indigenous cultures of the world, and I, you know, the, 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 the more primitive cultures of the world, you know, way back then, you know, my culture being one of them, um, sh- were they wiser for... Uh, not having gone down that same path that the advanced cultures were going down. You know, I'm thinking cultures like India and um, uh, Egypt and Greece and all that, Rome. You know, all, uh, Babylon, you know, all these cultures, you know, um, the Indus Valley and all that. You know, all these cultures that were plowing ahead, so to speak, <laughs> that's actually not a bad um, sort of accident, that. Um, you know, with uh, agriculture and civilization and all that sort of stuff. You know, were they wiser? I mean, sorry, were they less less wise than the ancestors of... The, the more privileged... Uh, sorry, the more... Um, the more... Were they wise? Sorry, were they less wise than the more primitive cultures? You know, for example, my culture back then. Um, were they less wise for ploughing on? With all of that, the birth of civilization and all that sort of stuff—were they less wise? Well, look, probably we, barbarian, indigenous sorts of people, weren't deliberately wise; were accidentally wise because we didn't even think to invent those things. Yeah, you know, it's not like we, um, we, Germanic, we Celtic, Germanic types, you know, um, had you know considered some of these things that the Egyptians and the, um, the Babylonians and the Greeks and all that sort of stuff and the Persians and the Indians, it's not like we, we um, had all the ideas those guys had and then said, oh no, I think we'll be wise and, and not do those things you know, and elect to not do those things because we didn't even have those thoughts. You know? uh, so we can't, we can't call ourselves cleverly wise more accidentally wise perhaps you know but anyway look the foregoing uh does in a much more ponderous way than I just have now maybe what I've just said now has been ponderous but um in a in a, in a much slower way it it, it, it it takes steps along that sort of logical path you know the, the audio that's coming up now and um and you know, the, the, it, it kind of ends up being the idea that, you know, like we've got a Bible and a science book right in front of me, you know, which one's going to make you smarter, you know? Oh, look, maybe the science book, well, which one's going to make you wiser? Look, maybe go for the Bible. Well, not the Bible, you know, you've got some Vedic texts or something. You know, you've got indigenous belief systems, all right, uh, Australian indigenous belief systems. You know, you've got them sitting in front of you. Um, and you've got you know, Western science sitting there too. Which one is the right one? You know, which, one is the cle- you know, which one is the clever option? Which one is the wise option? You, know, you can be a real clever dick and uh, get really good at science and go for the technology and all that sort of stuff and destroy the climate. You know? um, or you can be a wise dick yeah, and, and, and you yeah, know, convince everybody on this continent of Australia to revert to indigenous Australian ways. Yeah. Obviously, we sort of sometimes we sort of say, let's have a combination. Uh, but, you know, by and large, we're pretty much going with the Western ideas still and hoping, hoping that Western technology, you know, like, um, you know, can solve all the ills that the Western technology has um, created. You know, maybe we can do that. Maybe science can rescue um, climate change, look, there's a lot of things, you know. but, um, yeah, oh, let's just, let's just hear out, let's just hear out, um, let's hear me out, Yeah. You know. and actually don't, you know, <laughs> switch this episode off now, uh, the only good thing about this episode is it's not as long and uh, ponderous as the episode before this one was. Yeah, that one was ridiculous. All these episodes on quantum uh, physics or what they're, whatever they're all about. Yeah, you know, and and um, they're, they're all a mistake. They're all a mistake. I shouldn't have exposed myself for knowing so little about the overall subject as to talk about them so much. Uh, but I have, so I'll leave it there. Apologies to Aristotle for uh, declaring his idea of earth, wind, fire, and air as ridiculous compared to Democritus's idea of atoms. I I think what I'm really saying is, it's ridiculous to um, go with Aristotle, uh, the Aristotle idea now. Now that we've got evidence that Democritus was right, but I don't think Aristotle cares. (laughs) It's um, um, someone with 1% of his intelligence (laughs) calls his intelligence into question. Someone in the 21st century, a peasant from the 21st century, as I am. (laughs) I don't think he cares. Of course his theories were much more clever than anything I would have come up with at the time. We know that. All right, on with the episode. (laughs) Democritus in ancient Greece, you know, 400 B.C., or thereabouts, who proposed that all things uh, may be made of uh, atoms. And then in between the atoms there might be vacuum, you know, nothingness. Now, as it turns out, he was uh, pretty right. But we weren't to discover that for a very, very long time. You know, uh, I think all the way through to 1803. Not Timothy Dalton, but someone else Dalton um, you know, brought back the idea of the atom. You know, and now we've gone game busters on that by now in the 21st century. And uh, we'll all pretty much accept that the world is made up of atoms. And depending on how the atoms are arranged, well, that determines uh, the properties of everything around us. But in between, Democritus and uh, Timothy Dalton's, excuse me, Timothy, just had a red light there. Timothy Dalton's um, great, 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 great grandfather, maybe. Um, in between those two guys, Democritus in ancient Greece, 400 BC, and Dalton, 1800 AD. What would that make it? That's, uh, about uh, 2,200 years gap. Um, Aristotle came along, who was hugely influential, and I th- it seems like he might have parked the idea of the atom. You know, almost overturned it. Um in favour of a different theory, called uh, Earth, Air, what was it in Frozen 2? Um, That everything is made up of either Earth, Fire, Water or Air, or something like that, you know? Earth, Fire, Water, Air, you know? Aristotle brought, he was a great scientist, don't get me wrong, but it seems like he sent science backwards by dropping the idea of Democritus, you know, his predecessor in Greece um, who had come up with the idea of the atom Aristotle seems to have sent science backwards for uh, 2000 years odd by saying, no, let's drop that idea of the atom and um, imagine that everything in the world is earth fire air and water, I think they're the four, you know, Um, and um, that was a crap idea to go with that. It sent us backwards and sent us, you know, floundering about, I don't know if it's foundering or floundering, it's floundering. Floundering about like a fish on the pier out of water, trying to make sense of everything, Via, uh, uh, according to a stupid system of imagining that everything can be explained via air, water, earth, and fire, you know, um, with Elsa somehow in the middle of all that, you know, um, yeah, and the Greeks. Um, well, the Greeks, you know, they come up with all the ideas—the good ones and the bad ones. And Aristotle came up with some brilliant ideas too. Don't get me wrong, around philosophy and you know, um, categorization, you know, uh, the taxonomy, whatever. Um, anyway, the point is, it appears that Aristotle sent us backwards by proposing this idea of earth, air, earth, water, and fire, and uh, being able to explain everything. It can't you could never make sense of the universe, you'd stay primitive in a sense, which might be a good idea to stay primitive. Um, Yeah, because we might not have all the climate change we have now, uh, which might be due to technology being too successful, you know, like, um, you know, the ancient Greek idea of science, you know, that... um, Democritus, the atom, all that, which came made a comeback via Dalton, the Englishman. Um, yeah, so Aristotle might have set us back a little bit there with air and all that—earth, um, wind, fire, and water—I think is the fourth one. All right, um, but um, Frozen Two sort of said um, the idea behind Frozen Two. Uh, I believe the movie for children is that um, that once we went back uh, to the idea of the atom you know and then science and technology went gamebusters. you know the Greeks started it with Democritus and all that sort of stuff the idea of the atom anyway when we're talking when we're talking about chemistry at least um, but when Dalton Kick started all that again you know, and said, listen, forget about Aristotle. Um kicked us into a whole new world of science and technology. and, and you know, and then that was built upon yeah, you know, and obviously there was Newton and all the rest of them, you know, Einstein e equals M C squared, everything went wild. Um yeah, and and then um the world is now suffering because under the weight of all that technology, yeah, you know, because we were almost too successful. And the idea of um, Frozen 2 is that we should go back to earth, wind, fire and air, because that was actually a more sensible idea all along. Almost like Aristotle was wiser than Democritus for getting it wrong, you know. It's almost like saying, deliberately get it wrong, you know, as far as I can tell. Look. It's Greeks versus Greeks, you know, because both those guys were Greek, you know, Democritus and Aristotle. So Democritus came up with the idea of the atom, and Aristotle, I presume, came up with earth, wind, fire, and air, or earth, air, fire, and, you know, earth, air, fire, and water, whatever it is. Um, look, probably other cultures came up with some variation of earth, wind, and fire, and all that sort of stuff as well, um, because it's a pretty obvious one. It's a pretty obvious one Because you can see it all around So it's not that clever Okay But Aristotle I think Tried to categorise it a lot more You know Which is very Greek You know To try and turn it into a science And it's very Aristotle too To try and categorise things You know um, So he took it further But um, Now this is an interesting thing isn't it What's Frozen 2 trying to say to us It's, um, It's trying to say That Being wrong, you know, having a wrong idea, because it actually is a technically wrong idea, is being right. Is that what um, Frozen 2 is saying? Um, So, what's the logic, what's the logic? Um, You can, if you have a wrong idea of the way the world works, if one person has a wrong idea of the way the world works, you know, and, and subscribes to some sort of earth, wind, and fire idea of how the earth works, you know, um, Frozen 2 style. If one person has a wrong idea of the way the world works, you know, and says that, you know, everything can be explained via earth, wind, and fire, and maybe water, you know. Which is pretty stupid really. Um, and then but that gives the right result, i.e. no climate change destruction, then it was the right idea all along, you know. So even though it's technically wrong, logically wrong, its outcome correct. Okay. And then, um, so the, the sort of problematic question to ask. To pro- and then I think Frozen 2 is saying that the wrong idea was the right idea, even though it was stupid. So almost in a sense is, if the whole world was um, intellectually disabled, let's say, you know, and had an absolute wickety-whack idea of the way the world works, every human was intellectually disabled, you know, maybe there's a meteor shower that rendered us all stupid, Um, and we all had a wrong idea with the way science works and suddenly didn't know how to do technology anymore, and the environment suddenly recovered. Then Frozen 2 would suggest that a world full of intellectually disabled people is smarter, more right, more correct than the world full of very smart people that we do have who um, have the right idea You know that um, we are all made up of atoms and it's just the different arrangements of atoms that give us all the properties in the universe not, you know, different sort of Combinations of earth, wind, fire, and water, or whatever it is that um, Frozen 2 was talking about. Okay. If. You know, what Frozen 2 is probably saying that all the smart people have produced a stupid result climate change, you know, destruction. Therefore, they were wrong. They're, they're, um, their um, their, system, you know, of science was wrong. And it must be destroyed, you know, because that's what Frozen 2 did. Uh, there was one mob, the mob from Arendelle, they had science and technology. So they were able to build a dam in the movie. They built a dam in the movie. And the dam ended up... Um, Forget about why and how and all that sort of stuff. There was treachery involved too. Don't worry about that. But one way or another, the dam was symbolic of nature gone wrong. Okay? So even though the dam was built on very sound scientific uh, principles, it had resulted in a bad thing happening... So I think, uh, whereas before, you know, if, if science had not been there at all and the dam had never been built, everything would have been fine. You know, if we had it stuck with the stupid people who couldn't invent a dam, I think that's the logic. Um, the world would have been all right, you know. Um, so they went and destroyed the dam, you know. Elsa and Anna, the two heroes of Frozen 2, decided that the dam must be destroyed to set the world arights again. Yeah. So to a certain extent, I think Frozen 2 is saying, listen, world, give yourself a lobotomy. You know, I think that's what Frozen 2 is saying. Because right is wrong and wrong is right. Okay? So if you get things right in a science sense, you're going to produce bad outcomes in terms of environmental damage and all that sort of stuff, so your correct analysis of the way the world works will give a wrong result, therefore we will almost deem it an incorrect analysis, even though it was correct, you know, Um, whereas beautiful, magical people uh, from the north in Frozen 2 who had none of this science but actually believed in a wickety-wack stupid idea uh, Aristotle idea um, of earth, wind, fire and water or whatever it was. You know, I forget what the four were. Um, their stupid idea is presented in Frozen 2 as wisdom because it never actually produced anything you know they had this um, you know the other mob the magical mystery mystical magical mystical sort of mob um, had a theory of how the world works that actually never produced anything useful or destructive you know so to a certain extent, um, well, not to, a, to an exact extent. The uh, really beautiful indigenous kind of magical people, um, full of wisdom, develop. It's almost like it's suggesting that they developed a wrong idea about the way the world worked, almost deliberately so that they wouldn't accidentally ever invent anything because they knew in advance that if they ever invented anything it would lead to climate change you know so you know for example they never invented the wheel by the look of it these people uh from what i could tell from the cartoon um and that was an act of genius not to invent the wheel because that would have inevitably led to climate change eventually and oh my goodness! If only we were smart enough not to invent the wheel, or technology, or anything else, or to um, come up with the uh, to actually correctly identify. If only we had the genius and wisdom to um, sp- see that something was an atom. You know, see that the world was made of atoms, but then to give ourselves a lobotomy say, no, that's a bad idea. Oh, we do not want to see that. Give yourself a lobotomy, you know. We should have done that. We should have said, I do not believe what I'm seeing. Let's go back to earth, wind, and fire. Um, I think I'm trying to say that Frozen 2 is suggesting that if you measure something and get it right, um, tear up your... And, and, you, and you write those measurements down on a piece of paper. Tear the piece of paper up and swallow the paper. And um, pretend you didn't see what you did see. Because that would be very wise. And would make you a greater scientist. By not seeing what you are seeing. Because if you do actually see something and measure something and um, and get it right, and that will end up uh, causing great technological advancement which will end up destroying the environment and that would be very stupid of you. I'm going around in circles, but I think what I'm trying to say is Frozen to is suggesting that smart people um, investigate the nature of the universe and get it wrong and stupid people investigate the nature of the universe and get it right. That'll do. I think that's what Frozen 2 is saying and um and I think the message of Frozen 2 is that we should smash all our technology and go back to living the way we did when we were primitive people. And do you know what? They may have a point. Yeah. It doesn't mean... Yeah. Maybe they're saying we should get, give ourselves a lobotomy. For the sake of our own happiness and the sake of the environment, we should render ourselves... I don't mind saying it. More primitive. And I say that because uh, the idea that the universe is uh, constructed of earth, wind, fire, and water is wrong. Yeah, it is made up of atoms. Um, it is wrong. It is. Wickety whack yeah, but maybe Frozen 2's right. And I'm only saying that because I'm stupid. <laughs> okay, that'll do. And get yourself smaller than an electron and have a look around. Um, you would say this, this world I'm living in down here is very freaky. You know, I, I, And that freakiness, that is the behaviour of the universe, deep, deep down, at a nano, nano, nano level, uh, I think, um, as, I, as far as I understand it, uh, physicists refer to that as um, everything being in a quantum state way down there. Which I think means, in a freaky state. Not a state that um, we're used to dealing with, you know, we're used to, on a macro level, we're used to things um, looking very solid, feeling very solid, acting very solid, and so on, and following pretty solid rules, you know, at a macro level, but... And those things still do follow very solid sorts of rules, you know, rules we tend to call our macro laws of physics, you know, and Newtonian laws of physics, classical physics, classical mechanics, you know. These are all terms um, to describe all the laws of physics that we're used to. To interacting with on a macro level, if we don't go deep into the atom, and because a long time ago we even we didn't even know there was a world down there, you know. So back then, all these laws of physics, you know Newton's laws of physics, say, um, and other laws of physics by Newton's friends, made up by Newton's friends. You know, these guys were measuring things, and it was accurate to the level of accuracy that we could see and experience back then those laws are still accurate on a macro level, you know. So, you know, on a macro level, we say things like, you know, cricket balls are quite solid. Crowbars are even more solid. You know, but water flowing along in a river is a lot less solid. But when it turns to ice in winter, it's very solid, you know. These are all macro terms, and these macro terms that we put about just to describe our universe, uh, they work really well and they are deadly accurate um, as long as you don't sort of go to the 15th decimal place, as it were, when you're measuring them. Um, So in that sense, the laws of physics that we, you know, that people like Isaac Newton uh, developed are accurate to, you know, X number of decimal places. So they're good. And we still use them. Yeah? They enabled us to invent so many good things, or bad things, if you're into the environment. You know, like the steam engine, for example. You know, cars and all an and aeroplanes and You know, the laws of physics allow for allow all that to be invented, and explain a lot of things. You know, they're fine, um, but yeah a whole you know as we uh got better at looking at the universe via extra technology and everything you know and extra thinking you know, uh, when Einstein and all these mates came along um we actually got further and deeper into you know we looked deeper into the universe, and um when we started looking deeper into the universe, we saw that uh that macro universe you know was still um was still following all those sort of newtonian uh, laws of physics that we were used to but only on a macro level when we got really deep down we just realized oh my goodness um all right that's just how everything presents to us on a macro level but deep down inside a cricket ball on a nano 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 level um Even that cricket ball is not as solid as we thought it was. Look, it still is. Some people say, oh, you got it wrong. You thought a cricket ball was solid all this time. It's actually nothing like solid. If you got down deep into the cricket ball and had a look at it, from inside the atom, if you got yourself smaller than an atom, and they go on and on and on. Newton got it wrong, they say. You got it wrong, Newton, you're an idiot, you know? And and you too, you know, all you people who keep saying cricket balls are solid, they're not solid, you know? They're, um, you know, you, you are stupid because you think that cricket ball is solid. What you do is you pick up a cricket ball and you just clock them in the head. You just throw it at 80 kilometers per hour, and you go, bang, and knock them unconscious. And uh, and when they wake up, if they wake up, um, you sort of say to them, "Look, yeah, you're right. Um, down at a nano, nano, nano level, you're right. You know, um, that cricket ball that hit you before, um, that cricket ball that hit you, is not." as particle-like, it's not as deterministic, it's not a solid object in the way it seems, if you look at it deep at a nano level. Um, but at a macro level, Newton's laws of physics still hold very nicely and very true, and the cricket ball was very solid, wasn't it, as it presented to you, okay? So, you know, and, and the magic word you say to the person was, that you used was if, you know, you said if you were smaller than than an electron and you were inside that cricket ball and you were looking around, that it would not be so solid, if, you know, you said if. Um, But you're not that small. So to you, at the size you are, when I threw that cricket ball at you and knocked you out, with that cricket ball, boy, it felt a very solid. Felt very solid, didn't it? Um, and hurt, didn't it? That hurt. You say, see, it is solid on a macro level. So Newton's laws of physics are still correct for all intents and purposes at a macro level. Very correct, you know. So Newton isn't wrong on a macro level, um, you know. But for certain intents and purposes. Um, especially when creating new technologies in this modern world of the 21st century, we do want to go down into the nano, nano, nano level. We do want to go down there and and know how the world functions, how, what the physics is down there. You know, we do want to know all that sort of stuff if we're creating new technologies. Um, so, yes, you're right, but, you, you know, you still got knocked out, didn't you? You know? So both worlds are happening at once. So there's the practicality of sort of just moving about in the universe, you might say, you know. Um, And when you are just moving around in the universe on a macro level, walking along on a sunny day, you know, and a cricket ball comes towards you at 100 kilometres per hour, you know, maybe maybe use a little bit of, um, maybe do, subscribe to Newton's laws of physics and calculate that that might actually hurt you and not pass through you as if you were mostly space on a nano level and as if the cricket ball was mostly space on a nano level, you know, maybe do some calculations and say this cricket ball's going to hurt if it hits me and duck next time, you know. Don't stand there postulating that if you were as small as an electron, that that cricket ball might actually pass right through you, and vice versa. You know, don't go the Einstein. Don't go with those complicated formulas of quantum mechanics. Don't start doing statistical modeling as to whether that cricket ball is going to pass right through your head without hurting you or not. Don't go the Einstein. Stick with Newton. You know. So, Newton's laws of physics are still very, very, very valid and very accurate. For all the intents and purposes of getting around in your daily life, if you're not into high tech, some high tech job like inventing iPhones or something, you know, or quantum computers and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've been sitting here in the car all this time uh, in a loading zone, but with the engine running, waiting for the car in front of me to get out of you know, of the one two-hour parking spot around here. Okay, so um, I'm burning fossil fuels just waiting for a park, can you believe that? Okay, now, so that's what I'm getting at, The you know, Newton's laws are correct on a macro level and um, the universe is for all intents and purposes quite deterministic and, you know, you can know a cricket ball is right there, you know right there in front of you traveling towards you at 100 kilometers per hour, because I'm quite a, uh, you know, I can bowl as fast as Brent Lee, um, and that it's gonna hurt a lot if you don't duck, right? So there's some very deterministic things going on there, and that cricket ball is very solid, right? In a Newtonian sense. So Newton's laws of physics are correct on a macro level. You just keep it in the back of your mind that if you were to, um, if you were to measure everything about that cricket ball to, you know, something like 15 decimal places, you would see that um, Newton's laws of physics would start to fray at the edges as you got down to that, you know, level of accuracy. But look, for the, all the intents and purposes of what that cricket ball is about to do to your head, you know, you don't need, you know, those... Decimal places aren't going to make any difference. Difference, it's still going to hurt. So Newton's laws are correct on a macro level, you know. And that ball, that cricket ball, is solid as it presents to you, right? Um, but you know, if you happen to be in a high-tech frame of mind, and um, and you're minded. To care about the nature of that cricket ball at its subatomic level for example you know you might say listen i'm going to put aside newton's laws and if you did you would um, go you you would travel deep into the cricket ball and you would make yourself the size of an electron or even smaller and you'd have a look around and you would say wow down here The cricket ball no longer looks so solid. Um, In fact, it's obeying laws that go against every um, intuition about how the universe looks, feels, and acts. That I, as a human being, have evolved to believe is logical, you know. And I'd say down here it's illogical. Thing illogical things are happening here. And do you know what? I don't even know where that electron is. I think it's there, but it might be over there. And things are disappearing and reappearing again. You know, and and some things might be here, and some things might it might be in two places at once. That's weird. You know, way down here at a subatomic level. Yeah. In fact, if I can't determine where anything is and whatever, what anything is down here, it is so freaky that I can only take bets. I can only take bets as to where things are down here and as to what things are down here. And, uh, and to describe all of this freakiness, yeah, I'm not going to say an electron is there or a proton is there and that it's a solid or anything like that. I'm not going to say that. What I'm going to say instead is that I can only take bets as to what things are and where they are and what they're doing. I can only take bets about that. And another way of taking bets as to where things are, like where is an electron, you know, in a in an atom, you know, where is it, you know, at any given time. Uh, I can't actually say when I'm deep down, you know, inside a cricket ball. Now, if I'm in the macro universe just walking along in a summer, on a sunny day, and Charlie has just thrown a cricket ball at me at 100 kilometres per hour, and I'm wondering where the uh, cricket ball is, it's right in front of me, and I'd better duck. It is there. You can be deterministic for all the intents and purposes of walking around on a sunny day, right? But if you go down... But that's only when you're not doing high-tech physics, yeah, for the purpose of you know uh, inventing a new type of um, high-tech device for some reason, you know uh, that's only when you're not doing that, but when you are doing that, you do go deep into the cricket ball and wonder what's happening down there, and it is getting very freaky down there and um, And down there, um, we have a phrase, I believe, in physics, and I forgot that phrase in the episode coming out. I I actually forgot that phrase. And I already pre-recorded what's coming up. And that phrase is, we say everything is in a quantum state. I think that's true. I may be wrong, but I think that's true. We say that everything is in a quantum state. You know, so everything acts a little bit like a particle, but it also acts like a little bit like a wave. And we're not quite sure where it is, and we're not quite sure where it isn't. And it seems to sometimes appear and disappear, and it seems to be in two places at once. Sometimes, you know. Um, So... We say everything's in a quantum state way down there. It doesn't matter whether it's a proton or a neutron or an electron or a photon or an anything. You know, even things that have got very different behaviours, they all seem to be in a quantum state, which means, you know, to a physicist, that they kind of act like a particle, they kind of act like a wave. Now, if, things, if everything is like that down at a deep level, that means they are actually like that at a macro level too. So a cricket ball coming towards you actually is in a quantum state. You can't actually specifically say where every atom in that cricket ball is, you know. Um, you can only roughly say that, oh, the protons and the electrons and the neutrons are in there, they're all in there somewhere, <laughs> zapping about and appearing and disappearing and acting like in a crazy way. Um, the cricket ball as a whole presents in a very solid way to me and clocks me in the head and knocks me unconscious. I can see that. So I can determine that on a macro level. Um, so, you know, you... The person who just got knocked out when I hit you in the head with a cricket ball. When you come to, you 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 know you can still validly argue that that cricket ball was in a quantum state. Yeah, you know? because we know anything. You know, like it's made up of quantum states. Yeah, you know, all the ingredients of a cricket ball are protons and neutrons and electrons and all sort of All the ingredients of a cricket ball are in a quantum state. I like to say are a quantum state. You know. Don't worry about my grammar in this episode. Um, so, therefore, the cricket ball as a whole is in a quantum state if you're looking at it that closely. You know, if you're looking at it that closely, go with Einstein. You know, use Einsteinian sort of um, laws of physics and, you know, the, the formulas are quite hard, you know, but go for it, you know. But if you're going to use Einsteinian, Laws of physics, and just throw out Newton's laws of physics, which do work on a macro level. Newton's uh, Newton's laws are a lot simpler, by the way. Um, you know, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You know, in some ways, you've gone for the wrong formulas by going for the right formulas. You know, you've reached for you know, in the time that it would take you to calculate um, the velocity of that cricket ball, you know, the speed of it, you know combined with the direction of it, which is, you know, directly towards your head, by the time you worked out the velocity of that cricket ball and the overall mass of that cricket ball, which is, you know, the mass of every single proton, neutron, electron inside it, all that sort of stuff, and they did some formulas, you know, about the force that arises from that mass, you know, and that velocity, you know, the force that, um, if you know, it has got momentum, uh, that cricket ball, and if it hits your head and you... Your head causes that cricket ball to stop very suddenly. It might knock you out, you know, just with the force of that thing. The force of that thing, um, yeah, you know, uh, you'd go with Newton's laws with all of that sort of stuff. Newton's laws would be correct. You'd be an idiot if you wasted time using Einstein's formulas, yeah, you know, which are technically correct. You know, that cricket ball as it heads towards you is is acting a little bit like a particle and a little bit like a wave. You know, it's a bit of a it's a bit each way. You know, it swings both ways. Every cricketer knows you can make a cricket ball swing both ways. Um, But uh, Newton's laws would be the correct laws to reach for. On that occasion, on a sunny day, as that cricket ball came towards you, and Einstein's equations would be the wrong formulas to reach for, only because you haven't got much time before that cricket ball hits you. So, you know, get practical. But you know, if you wanted to uh, make a new high-tech cricket ball that takes advantage of its um, subatomic, you know, if you want to put a look, imagine you wanted to put a quantum computer inside a cricket ball. Yeah, you can do that. A chip, you know, uh, so that if someone hits it, hits that cricket ball for six out of the park. You know, you can get on, everyone in the audience can get on their phones and use Find My Cricket Ball, an app, Find My Cricket Ball, and you know, there's a quantum computer inside that cricket ball, and someone goes and fetches the cricket ball outside the ground, because you know, you hit it right over the, right out of the cricket ground, and you know, it's lodged in a tree, and someone climbs a tree, and there it is, exactly where you thought it was, because someone made an invention, you know, and took advantage of that cricket ball's subatomic structure. That's future technology that hasn't been invented yet, I'm sure. Um, But if, you know, if you want to inquire as to the nature of that cricket ball down on a subatomic level, for that purpose at least, then go for it. You know, start making calculations, Einsteinian calculations, you know. The statistics of where all the different molecules in that cricket ball might or might not be at any given moment in time um, start making those Einsteinian calculations and spend about six months working all that out and develop that sort of chip, you know, that sort of quantum chip that you're going to put in that uh, cricket ball so that you'll never lose that cricket ball again. You know, that's fine. Um, in, that, in that sense, you were right all along, you, who got knocked out when I hit you in the head, um, that that cricket ball isn't as solid, as solid as it seems. And we're taking advantage of that now and we're getting into the Einsteinian mechanics of a cricket ball, you know, the quantum state of a cricket ball, and we are recognizing that a cricket ball, as it's flying through the air, is in a quantum state, you know? In other words, it's in a state that we can't really pin down, you know? It's acting a little bit like a fluky wave, a freaky wave, a fluky freaky wave. It's acting a little bit like a bunch of particles, you know? But we we don't really know where it is exactly you know, and theoretically it'll pass right through you, you know, probably won't, you know, by statistics, alright, now, so that's the difference, Yeah. You know, so all in all in this episode, um, I pick up on an idea that I think the physicists put about, that everything in the universe, whether that be radiation, you know, like x-rays and microwaves and light, you know, all the all everything, and whether they are protons and neutrons and electrons you know which are very different to light, you know protons and neutrons and electrons seem to have this quality called mass, you know whereas photons don't have this quality called mass, you know um and um protons and neutrons and electrons seem to have this quality called we call gravity, which actually is related to mass you know um and photons. Of light, for example, and microwaves and things, don't seem to have this property of mass, you know, and gravity. Um, And electrons seem to have this property of charge, as we call it, you know, using English language, charge, you know. And protons seem to have charge. But neutrons don't have charge. And photons don't have charge, you know. Um, And things that have mass seem to bend space, and you know, might even muck around with time i'm not sure yeah you know, i think they do you know space and time are hard to separate in fact there was a physicist called stephen hawking who used to talk about space time you know all one word i don't know why he didn't call it time space space time time space would have been just as logical you know. um okay but space time is more catchy um, so as far as i know you know mass Probably, I haven't actually investigated this. Mass, things that have this property called mass um, are able to warp space-time, you know, warp space and warp time in a certain way, um, in such a way that two things with mass are attracted to each other because they're warping the space and the time in between themselves, in between, in between each other, and by warping space and time that exists in between them, so to speak exists um they fall into that space and fall towards each other you know and in that way a crowbar dropped out of an airplane falls towards the earth and the earth falls towards the crowbar at the same time you know um but what they're doing they're warping space in between them and then falling through that warp you know something like that you know they're creating a sort of um a vacuum almost you know but it's actually it's not a vacuum. Well, it is. It is. They're sucking each other towards each other, and we call that sucking quality uh, uh, gravity. You know, and um, and the sucking quality is greater the more atoms and electrons and protons are present within you. You know, so the Earth itself has got a lot of protons and electrons. It's huge, and neutrons, um, in it. So. You know it's got a very big sucking quality, and uh, a crowbar's only got a small amount of sucking quality, so you know we kind of as when we're watching it looks like the Earth's not falling towards the crowbar the crowbar seems to be falling towards the earth, uh, but that sucking quality is you know um, uh, something that some things have got, you know which we call gravity, and you know, mass give you more gravity and more, the more mass you've got, the more gravity you've got all that sort of stuff because yeah, it makes sense you yeah. know um. And, um, and that sucking quality is, uh, you know, gravity, you know, um, and, and, and the the higher the sucking quality you've got, like, the Earth's got a very high sucking quality. Another word for that sucking quality is, you know, an object's gravitational field, you know, so the Earth's got a very strong gravitational field, especially close to it, drops away, as you get further away from it, um, inverse square, law. um, Um, But the Earth has set up a gravitational field around it. It didn't consciously set that up. Or maybe it did, maybe it's God, you know. (laughs) uh, But the crowbar also has a gravitational field. You know, it has established a gravitational field. Look, when it says it established a gravitational field, it's just um, another way of saying it's got a, you know, it's warping space and time around it. um, Yeah. know in such a way that it's attracting other objects that have also got mass you know and so on and so forth and you can go on and on and on but the point is um all these things in the universe whether they have mass or not whether they have charge or not and all that sort of thing um all these things whether if they've got no mass you know there might be a photon of light or a microwave or something traveling along at the speed of light but no mass you know what i mean all these things um, at a very nano, nano, nano level, um, are behaving in what to us, as an evolved monkey species, uh, seems very freaky, but that's only because we're stupid monkeys, um, but deep down there, um, you know, their behavior, the physics of the world, the universe, is very freaky. The physics of the universe is very freaky way down there, but we'd better get used to it because we need to harness the physics of the universe way down there if we want to have high-tech devices like iPhones sitting on our knee as we park here in the two-hour zone, which I did move into, by the way. All right, so that's that. Um, I I could go on and on and on about that in fact that's exactly what I'm about to do uh, I'm about to talk about all the quantum states of the universe in um, what's coming up you know, and I'm about to argue you know, bouncing off what people have told me of course I don't come up with any ideas by myself um, but I'm, I'm about to um, explore the idea that physicists put about that everything is in a quantum state at a nano-nano-nano level. And put aside Newton and that cricket ball coming towards my head. Yeah. And um, I am going to go deep down into the atom and back to the start of the universe at what's called the Big Bang, which might which we probably shouldn't be calling a bang. I don't think it made a noise. Maybe it was a big fast expansion, you know, the big expansion, you know, the big inflation, you know, who who knows what we should have called that thing, Uh, but the word Big Bang is so catchy that it has stuck, you know, and we'll travel to black holes and find out how an Australian uh, was thinking about black holes one day, and as a result of that, of thinking about that, he came up with the idea and invention of Wi-Fi, you know. So you know, that's one for Australia, you know, we invented that one. You've got no culture, Australia. <laughs> well, we've got enough culture to invent Wi-Fi. Do you like your Wi-Fi, Nigeria? <laughs> oh, anyway, so all of that, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, so that's what I'm going to talk about. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, just to have a little crack at the hippies for a minute, because that's a sport, actually, you know. Yes. I've got hippies who live next door. Uh, and uh, look, we get along great. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, uh, but just have a little crack at hippies, uh, only because it's a sport. Uh, the, probably the difference between hippies and physicists might be, and hippies can be physicists too, of course, by the way, but, you know, your average hippie and your average physicist. um, Hippies are prepared to uh, decide what all these queer things way down low are up to in the universe in terms of our behaviours and our states of mind and all that sort of thing. They draw a lot of conclusions, you know, without what I would call much evidence, Um, or any evidence really, look at, you know, like inferred evidence, you know, but uh, not something that would pass scientific trials. Um, uh, Probably the difference between hippies and physicists is that um, hippies are prepared to tell you what all that stuff is deep down. You know, they might say the vibrations of the universe. You got to, you know, the whole world, the whole universe is vibrating. You know, you got to, um, you've got to get in sync with the vibrations. You've got to vibrate at the same sort of uh, frequency and wavelength, or whatever, as the universe. And once you're vibrating at the, you know, you've got your, you've got your, your essence vibrating at the same um, frequency as the vibrations of the universe as a whole. your life will be imbalanced, and all that sort of stuff. They're prepared to make all sorts of conclusions. I don't even know if I've got that right, you know, all that stuff, because I'm not a hippie, so I don't exactly know their language. Uh, whereas physics, physicists are prepared, I think, to say, I don't know what the hell all that stuff is down there. Um, actually, physicists are pretty good at saying what it's probably not, Yeah, you know? And I think physicists are pretty prepared to say that, look, whatever it is down there, at a you know well, yeah, if you were to get inside an electron or inside a proton or a neutron, they're kind of prepared to say I doubt that it's vibration. I don't think things are vibrating in there as such. It's something a lot weirder than vibrations. Yeah, vibrations is like woof, woof 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 woof, you know, back and forwards, back and forwards, you know, with a with frequency. For example, you know, uh, vibrations have a nice frequency, you know, um, uh, you know, a sort of regular pattern um you know which is very satisfying to humans even hippies um that the that the universe is making sense of some sort you know some sort of vibratory sense you know that there's a regularness to it but if you were to hop down into a inside an electron or a proton or a neutron um hopping inside an electron would be like hopping into inside a, a a tiny particle of a particle of dust in the solar system, <laughs> you know. If the whole atom is the solar system, and uh, and hopping inside a proton or a neutron might be like hopping inside of Jupiter, you know, because electrons are very small. They might be like a little stone, you know. Um, okay, uh, but nevertheless, if you were to hop inside them, I doubt that the universe is vibrating at that level. Um, it's doing something quantum, as far as we can tell. Um, something, it's doing something, you know, it's acting a little bit like a wave, but it's acting a little bit like a particle at the same time. It might be here, it might be there, you know, there are things down there, um, as far as I know. Even an electron itself, the whole electron, we never know where it is exactly. Um, you know, I'm not even sure, it's not not even a particle really, it acts like a wave. Um, it acts like a particle in some ways, and it acts like a wave in others. It's not actually a... You know, it's not like a cricket ball. You know, that it's um, a kind of um, ball of mass. You know, this thing we call mass, when you get down to this level, down to the level of uh, an electron, it's not a mass in the same way that a cricket ball, to us, feels like a mass. Um, it's not that. Um, and... Uh, we will eventually get to that point of thinking where oh even a cricket ball isn't like a cricket ball <laughs> yeah to us a cricket ball it feels really solid but if you were to actually be if you were smaller than an electron the whole cricket ball would look like a a pretty freaky thing you know not a not a um solid ball at all you know you could you could run right through it you could fly right through it if you're if you, if you were a microwave, you know, you might be able to fly right, through a, fly right through a cricket ball, through the middle. And you say, wow, there's a lot of space in here. You know, it's not really solid, you know, there's just all these zippy zappy things going around. But deep down, I, uh, I, as I understand it, the universe isn't vibrating. It's doing something a lot weirder than that. You know, it's kind of disappearing and reappearing and it might be here, it might be there, and we can only kind of guess and we can, you know, like if you've got a hundred, even, you know, even if you're only the size of an electron, not even much smaller than an electron, um, you know, if you've got a million electrons, um, you know that, um, you know, um, 90% of them are probably about here roughly, but 10% could be somewhere else. But you don't know which electrons are there and which aren't, you just know that around about 90% are there and about 10% are somewhere else, and you're not quite sure. Some might be miles away, and you thought they were right there, you know? It's all very statistical. They call it statistical. You only roughly know where everything is and what everything is at that level, you know? It's all very hazy and statistical. It's not deterministic. You can't say, an electron is right there, you know? And if you're inside an electron, I believe it gets even weirder, and it's, it's, it's much weirder than just the universe vibrating, you know? It's it's much weirder than humans can even imagine and we get all a little bit um, nervous about that and we say, oh, I can't stand the fact that I can't know what the universe is down that level. I'm going to call it God, you know. Yeah, that might be a religious person. And that's the difference between a religious person and a physicist, you know, that a religious person is prepared to say what it is, you know, way down there deep, smaller than an electron, they're, you know, if what, what I think what they're saying is that deep inside the electron, if you were smaller than an electron, if you, if you were able to get down there with a camera, you'd see God there sitting on a throne. You know, a little tiny God. Yeah. Who's also the same size as the universe at the same time. Very confusing. Look, they don't know either, but they, they are prepared to say they know. And that's the difference between a religious person and a physicist. Not forgetting that a religious person can be a physicist at the same time. Sometimes you can wear two hats if you're smart enough. You know, In fact, I wear two hats like that. I, I go to church. Yeah, and I say, I believe in one God, Father, and, uh, Apostolic Church, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, as soon as I step outside the church, you know, ha, no, I don't believe in all that. But I'm happy to say, I believe, look, I'm, I, I believe in it when I've got one hat on, I don't believe it when I've got the other hat on, you know? and all that sort of stuff. And the difference between hippies and physicists is the same thing, you know, the, phys- the hippies are prepared to say, what is happening way down there, and what effect that's having on your personality, uh, whereas the physicists are just quite happy to say, I don't know and uh, I'm, I'm here to find out, you know. Um, and same you know, with religious people, you know, the religious people say, we know what's going on down there. Um, the physicists are prepared to say, uh, we don't. <laughs> and yeah, you know, the religious person, says, haha, we, one to us. <laughs> uh, physicists, say, physicists say, no, no, um, not one to you. Um, yeah. um, it was actually a weakness that you declare that you know something you don't know, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And religious people say, yes, we do. And it goes on and on as we know. Um, but anyway, all that aside, um, in a physics episode like this, you know, um, and this one has ended up physics and not chemistry or biology, um, in a physics episode like this, um, we, when, when, you know, if someone were to ask you what is the nature of the universe really at its fundamental level, we're really deep down, where you know, we would not even put words to it, we'd just say something weird, you know, sometimes we might dare to say something quantum and statistical, but we can't actually put our finger on it, yeah, whereas, um, whereas I think, and I may be wrong, but I think hippies are prepared to say, you know, the Bhagavad Gita or whatever is prepared to say that, you know, it's, um, that the universe has an essence, you know, they're prepared to put words onto it and uh, it has a vibration, you've got to tap into its vibration. But a physicist would say, look, you know, um, we've been down to the level of an an electron, at least, and a photon, so we've got, you know, we've been able to um, study the universe, you know, with the advance of technology and all that. We've studied the electron, um, and it's not vibration. I mean, you know, the electron might vibrate, sort of, in a statistical kind of quantum way around an atom, arguably, you know? But, you know, an electron's not even a, a you know how a planet goes around the sun, Yeah, you know, Electrons don't go around um, a proton and a neutron in the same sort of way, I'm pretty sure. It's kind of like, in. they're almost like a cloud, a statistical cloud of where the electron might be. Where is it? I don't know, it's somewhere there, you know? Um, it's everywhere at the same time, it's nowhere at the same time, I don't know where it is, it's all weird, you know? But um I wouldn't I wouldn't try a physicist wouldn't tr- try um, to wouldn't say they were certain about what the nature of the universe is down there and they definitely wouldn't dare um, claim um, without evidence what I was on a roll and halfway through a thought there and got interrupted uh, by an incoming phone call as happens, and whatever I was about to talk about, I'll just forget about. Uh, A lot of my thoughts aren't worth finishing. Alright, now uh, this is the bit where I do go back to something I recorded earlier than what has gone before. And this is the bit where we have a language shift Uh, so that's something I'm going to have to concentrate on. Uh, so. Uh, I have been calling everything in the universe a quantum state. Or I've been referring to everything as quantum states. I don't even know how accurate that is. But I think it's roughly right, you know. In a physics sense. Um and by quantum state you know if 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 anyone's ever asked you what quantum physics is and what quantum mechanics is, well say tell them quantum physics and quantum mechanics are the same thing uh but um yeah quantum physics you know that that's simply you know when something's in a quantum state you know, as far as I know it simply means. That you know how you know where a cricket ball is? Yeah. If you've got it in your hand. And what you say to yourself, it's in my hand. Yeah. And on a macro level, that's true. There it is, you know. And the reason for that is, you know, because all the atoms and atoms and all the neutrons and all the yeah, all the protons and all the molecules, all the electrons and all this everything that's in that cricket ball is clustering, you know, in in a ball like shape. And even though you don't know where any of those individual electrons are, for example, within that cricket ball, so all of that is, you know, uncertain as to where all the component parts of the cricket ball are, uh, you know, as a whole, the cricket ball is in your hand, you know. So if you average out all the protons and the neutrons and the electrons, even though Even though you don't know exactly where all the bits and pieces are within that cricket ball at a nano level, you know, as a whole, they're all clustering in a ball-like shape and that ball-like shape is sitting in your hand. Okay, that's on a macro level. But uh, what quantum physics is all about is, um, is well, I think the fact that if you go down to a very small level, nano level, down to the level of electrons and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, uh, things, you know, like, you know that cricket ball, it acts like a particle, you know, like a cannonball, you know, acts like a particle as it flies through the air when you throw it, you know, it acts like a particle. But a quantum state uh, you know, and a very definite particle the cricket ball, as it's flying through the air, you say that's definitely flying through the air in a very deterministic way, <laughs> in a very definite way. Um, but deep down in the atoms, uh, things don't um, act in such a way that you can say for certain that some, you know, something is in a certain spot, for example, or that it, yeah. Um, it could be here and it could be there, you know. Uh, in, in in short, things don't act like a nice particle doing what it oughta, you know. Like a cricket ball flying through the air kind of does what it should, you know. But an electron deep inside the cricket ball um, isn't flying around the proton and the neutron in a nice neat way like that, you know. Um, you can't track its progress. Um, it's, it, it could be here and it could be there, you know? And it's not even acting like a particle. In some ways, it's acting like a wave. So it's a little bit fluky and a bit freaky. Um, and, act, you know, it acts a little bit like a a packet, you know? Like a photo. acts a little bit like a... A wave and a little bit like a particle. I'll just leave it like that. And um, and when things do act like that and we're uncertain where they are, for example, and exactly how they're behaving, um, we can only say um, where they're likely to be, you know? It's not that we don't have any idea. You know, we, we know, you know that it's 70% likely to be here 20% likely to be there and, you know, 10% likely to be over there a little further, you know. So we, we, we know roughly, you know, so statistically where they are. And this is what quantum, being in a quantum state is all about. Uh, being in a quantum state is, uh, is such that anybody looking at you or trying to look at you uh, doesn't know where you are you're likely to be somewhere you know you're like a a truant child from school Uh, a, a child who is given to nicking off you know is likely to be at school but could be in the city you know but likely to be at school so you can kind of bet on it so there's a statistical element to it you know and electrons for example behave like that um you know and, uh, and, and, and you can know, if you've got a million electrons, you can know that 800,000 of them are where, you, where they should be. You know. Let's say you're employing electrons um, to do a job for you, as we do in, um, in a lot of um, high-tech applications, you know, you're relying on a whole lot of electrons to be flowing down a wire in a fairly regular fashion, you know, to be or to be switching lights on and off, or switching circuits on and off, you know. You're relying on electrons doing what you want them to do. Uh, now, as it turns out, some of those electrons are going to play truant and not do what you want them to do, you know. And ordinarily, you'd say that's a real problem, you know. If they were your soldiers... Um, you know, these would be the deserters, Yeah. Um, so, um, but do you know what? You can actually harness those electrons, even though some of them aren't behaving, doing what you want them to do. You, you, you know that most of them will. And you can use the fact that most of them are doing what you want, even though you don't know which individual ones are deserting and not doing what you want them to do. You can harness them as a whole, as a group, you know, um, as a mighty army um, heading towards a switch in your circuit board and you send a whole army of electrons in the direction of that switch with orders to turn that switch on and, um, and it's not a deterministic thing, you know, you can't say which electrons actually switch that switch on, but you know that statistically, Um, 800,000 of them are going to do what you told out of the million electrons that you send in the direction of that switch, 200,000 are not, you know, are going to be deserters, you know, or who are going to disobey command, you know, um, and, uh, but you don't want, you, um, you can tolerate the deserters, the electrons that aren't doing what you're (coughs) going to do, say, um. Excuse me, you can tolerate them, and this is where we can harness um, quantum states to get them to do what we want them to do, even if not all of them, even if we can't rely upon all of them, even if we can re- rely on, only on some of them, as long as it's a majority of them, um, to do what we want them to do. Uh, you know we can say statistically most of uh, most of the electrons are going to do what we tell them to do and some of them aren't but as long as we know that most of them will so we have harnessed electrons they are doing work for us that we want them to do they are doing our bidding you know so the minute you know um now you haven't you know You haven't been able to send every soldier to do. You haven't got full control, but you live with you live with that when you're working with high tech. Ah, and um, it's a little bit like when uh, Julius Caesar had an army, and he was marching off to Gaul. He knew that some of his soldiers were going to let him down. He knew that before he even left. Uh, but did he write off the whole operation, or did he just go with the statistical type of um thinking um and say, "Listen, I know you know ten percent of my soldiers are going to let me down, but I know ninety but ninety percent will uh, do what I want them to do, so I'm going to send the whole hundred percent off to Gaul and um I will tolerate or you know live with the fact that ten percent will let me down, and I may even you know." I might, might even um, execute those guys, if I can catch them at least. Some will desert even, but I know that most of my soldiers will get through and I shall defeat Gaul, you know. And I think in the same way that um, Julius Caesar sent armies into Gaul, knowing that not every soldier would, um, you know, come up trubs, you know. Um, uh, you know. He was applying he sort of. He was he was um, as a good general. He was thinking, um, I uh, I know the behaviour of a population of soldiers and how they all behave, and I can harness that to achieve what I want to achieve. You know, even though I don't know which soldiers are going to let me down. Now, in the same way, if you want to harness. Um, electrons for example um, to go and switch a switch on and then off um, on a circuit board um, you don't you don't need to know perfectly well how those electrons are going to behave and in some sense the electrons are like soldiers you know we start to think about how electrons behave with all their foibles just like the way soldiers behave with all their foibles you know we start to sort of say electrons are just like humans you know all the the uh i bet you the hippies will get excited about that you know we're everything's the same we're all part of the same vibration you know um all right you know whether we are living or not um electrons behave humans behave therefore electrons are just like humans you know Uh, Not necessarily, but, you know, that's a fallacious argument, you know. But anyway, there are some similarities, but it doesn't mean... Just because there are some similarities doesn't mean they're identical, you know. That's a fallacious argument, I'm sure. Um, Now, okay, but, you know, this is an interlude, really, or an intermission between stuff I recorded later in the day and stuff... I've recorded earlier in the day, and without further ado, I'm going to go back, for better or worse, to the stuff I recorded earlier in the day. And earlier in the day, uh, I was referring to all this, um, you know, the way um, stuff on a nano level, whether that be electrons or, as it turns out, you know, photons or anything else really on that level, um, behave. You know, and the fact that they behave on a statist- in a statistical way, you know, not in a deterministic way. <sighs> a cricket ball, when you throw it, you can determine where that object will be in five seconds, you know, hopefully on the stumps. Um, whereas an electron, you can't determine where every electron's going to be five seconds from now. In fact, you can't even determine where they are right now, all the electrons, each one individually. So we don't, we say that it's non-deterministic, that sort of physics. You know, the physics of a cricket ball, Newtonian physics, is deterministic. You can determine where everything is. You know, when an apple falls off a tree, you can determine you know, um, with what acceleration it's going to head towards the Earth and how long it's going to stay in the air, What velocity it will be, um, traveling at when it hits the ground and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, you can determine all that. That's Newtonian physics, Newton, um, deterministic, you know, exact, precise, all those sorts of words. Um, But down at the nano level, we're talking Einsteinian physics, and you can't be deterministic about every single electron, about what it's doing and where it is, you know. Um, So, you know, you can only statistically um, work out where most of them will be, even though you don't know which of all the electrons, excuse me, motorbike. You, you can't uh, uh, determine where every single electron's going to be, so it's not deterministic in a Newton- Newtonian sense. It's um, You can only sort of um, statistically map which of those soldiers, those electrons, are going to, you know, m- where most of them are going to be and how they're going to behave. Um, and you just make allowance for that you know but it's statistical it's rough rougher you know it's um and and we call that um einsteinian physics um kind of quantum physics you know that's what quantum physics is when you're getting down to a very small low level uh so, you know nano level and you're at that level where you can't determine where everything is yeah And what everything is doing at any given time, you know, you're at that statistical level where you're only for, you don't know where a given electron is, but you know where most of them are and you use that um, knowledge that you, you do know where most of the electrons are heading and, you know, you rely on, the fact that most of the electrons are doing what you think they're going to do even though you don't know which ones are and which ones aren't um and you can rely on them uh you know traveling all along wires and everything on circuit boards and um you know in overhead power lines and all that sort of thing um and from a light switch in your house up to the light globe and all that sort of stuff you can rely on that and You know, you can rely on, you know, if you send a stream of photons using Wi-Fi from your home across to your iPhone, uh, you you know most of it's going to go where you want it to go, even though not all of it's going to do what you want it to do, although the Wi-Fi signals, you know, uh, you know most of them are going to be um, doing what you want them to do, the photons and all that sort of stuff, um, heading towards your phone. some of them all, you know, uh, do the wrong thing, desert, you know, um, not go where they're supposed to go, not even be where they're supposed to be. But statistically, you know, most of them are getting there. And that's why I'm able to talk on my phone right now as I speak this podcast. Right now, um, here comes the shift. Um, so, so far, that Einsteinian physics, that low down level physics, that nano physics, the statistical physics, the quantum physics, the quantum mechanics, Uh, I've been calling that quantum mechanics so far in this episode, and I've been saying that everything in the universe on a nano level, you know, photons, electrons, and all that sort of stuff, protons and neutrons, um, I've been saying all that stuff is in, they are in quantum states. Now, here comes the shift, because in the bit that's coming up, that's the stuff that I recorded earlier, I use different language because I hadn't come up with the idea of calling it all quantum states back then. Um, In the following I call it energy states, which is probably not that bad, probably not that bad, it's only language, you know, as long as you know what we're talking about, doesn't matter what you call it really. Um, So I I think I prefer quantum states, but in the following I start calling the same thing energy states, you know, but um, but that, that can get a little bit confusing, perhaps in the long run. So pr- from now on, as you listen to the rest of this episode, whenever I say energy states, I think I'm really meaning quantum states. So do that little switch in your mind, you know. Okay, but without further ado, uh, let's hear the rest of it. You know, the stuff that I recorded earlier today.